Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got a big showdown in Big D as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 297. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' Week 16 matchup with the Dallas Cowboys and some of the biggest schemes that we will see in the game right at the top of the show here in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report. This week, I wanted to focus on a guy who maybe a little bit quietly has become a legitimate big play weapon for this Dallas offense. And that's running back Tony Pollard, the second-year running back out of Memphis. How will he be used and how can he impact this game? We'll cover that in Scouting Report. The show does not end there, though, because at the end of the show, I also caught up with Eagles left tackle Jordan Mailata to talk about his athletic background and just how he got to where he is now as the Eagles' starting left tackle. Before we get there, though, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, quick reminder, best way to help us out is go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you leave a question, we will answer it here on the show. Also, if you enjoy my conversations with Ben Fennell here every single week, go to check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's wherever podcasts can be found. It's that time of year we're starting to look forward to the offseason and who the top prospects are for next year's draft. We have got you covered over on that show. Go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. And I say it each week here over the last month or so, one of my favorite segments on that episode on that show is our Scout Story segment, where each week I welcome in a member of the Eagles scouting staff to talk about current Philadelphia Eagles and get their memories of scouting them and projecting them to the league when they were coming out of college. We then talk a little bit big picture, takeaways for about the position. And this week, I welcomed in Eagles scouting director Anthony Patch to talk about Eagles left guard Isaac Sayamalo, get his thoughts on him back when he was coming out of Oregon State. Here's what Patch had to say about Isaac Sayamalo. Patch, take us through your memories of evaluating Isaac coming out of uh, Oregon State and the Beavers program. Yeah, Isaac was, yeah, good player. Isaac, you know, he he got some genes to him. His dad has been a lifelong um, uh, college D-line coach. You know, he was up at Oregon State there with Mike Riley for years and years. And, um, you know, Isaac's older brother uh, played there as well. And his sister was a volleyball player and just... You know, even at Oregon State, you know, it's, you know, what we look in O-linemen, it's just, you know, versatility. Even at Oregon State, like he does for us, he he played every position, started there, every position. He played, you know, guard, tackle, and, you know, some center, not a lot of center. It just didn't look out of place. You know, Isaac was a, a great athlete, high FBI. Um, just everything looked easy with the kids, stunts, pickups, you know. Uh, probably not the most explosive knockback power you'd see in a guy, but just always in the right place and, you know, feet, uh, angles, hips, everything uh, were, you know, excellent. And so, you know, he was a junior coming out. So, you know, no all-star game, you know, so, you know, combine was first time meeting him. And then, um, you know, he's an even kill kid, Fran, you know, never high too or too low and just um, real smart. Hmm. And uh, that, that sold us even more. You can't take enough of these guys. And, you know, we got him in the third round that year. And then, you know, I think we bounced back in the fifth round. And, you know, it's just about to get Vitae that year. So we kind of, we got two good players that year. Um, we felt to uh, put up front. 
So that was just that first part of that interview, that first chunk for that entire segment. Make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Again, you can find that wherever podcasts can be found. All right, talking about Journey to the Draft, let's now talk one of the guys that is on that episode with me every single week. That's Ben Fennell. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, back for another edition of Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, as always, we'll quickly touch on how we kind of structured the episode of Eagles game plan this week. A little bit of a short week for us uh, with the holiday, but uh, we focus first on the Eagles offense going up against the Dallas defense. And obviously the big conversation point is what will opposing defenses do to try and slow down Jalen Hurts, keep him from being effective, limit his ability to extend plays. And one of the things we found, it was cool because – you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys, they've played the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray. They've played the Baltimore Ravens with uh, with Lamar Jackson. They've played Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. So we've seen them against mobile quarterbacks this year and got an idea. All right, here's what, what, here's what their game plan has been. They're a heavy zone defense, so we'll see plenty of zone. When they play man, we like to see a lot of cover one robber from them, especially on third down. And so we kind of went uh, with that angle there for the first part of the show. And so... I guess the the quick thing I feel like we can talk about is cover one robber, the definition of that, what that looks like from a a, a whiteboard standpoint, and the benefits of that versus just like a basic cover one where, you know, the linebacker is there in the middle of the field. So if you can just kind of take us through the differences between robber and just basic cover one. So basic cover one is just man-to-man defense with a single high safety, but playing with a single high safety means you can match up the other five skill players and still have another player to account for. So you could go with a five-man rush, you can have a QB spy, or you can allocate that resource somewhere else in coverage, whether it's a designated double team on a star receiver, or like you had mentioned, cover one robber, in which that extra player who typically will be defending the quote-unquote quarterback, um, can either insert himself into the middle of the defense as a robbing position to take away in-breakers over the middle of the defense. This allows you to have a deep free safety protecting the deep part of the field and have somebody crashing down to the short intermediate part to take away in-breaking routes. That also allows those man coverage players to play with that true outside leverage because you have help everywhere on the inside of the field, middle of the field and the robber position, deep middle uh, with that free safety center fielder. So you always have to remember there's five skill players. So that means you can match up those five, but if you have a single high safety, there's another player to account for. You can, you know, designate him into a cool pressure package and a five man rush, a QB spy, or like this robber, which is really popular. And the Cowboys actually do a hybrid of a lot of those. They'll have that safety come down, rob the inbreakers, and then turn into a QB spy late into the down as some of these mobile quarterbacks like to take off uh, if those initial reads aren't there. So that, and that's the thing, I think the big takeaway from that, from what you said is, you know, number one, cover one is man coverage. So you're going to see five guys across the width of the field in man to man coverage against the five eligible receivers. Number two, when you talk about robber, that's when the safety comes down and plays in the hole. If it's just a, if it's a linebacker, so let's say it's a Jalen Smith or a Leighton Vander Esch, that's where a lot of people call it just cover one man free, where you've got that linebacker there. And then you've got the five-man pressure element, and that's something we saw from the Arizona Cardinals a decent amount on Sunday, and that's where uh, you've got five man-to-man coverage defenders, you've got your single high safety, 
And then you've got a five-man rush. So you've got a blitz on. So it's a, a pressure look, man-to-man coverage, single high safety. The downside of that, well, you've got nobody there in the middle of the field to account for those in-breakers or to account for the quarterback. And that was uh, that was the coverage that they were playing on Jalen Hurts' touchdown run. The only guy that really had eyes on Hurts from snap to whistle there was Buda Baker playing in the post. And he was, you know, obviously late to get there. He misses the tackle and Hertz is able to plunge forward into the end zone for a touchdown. So uh, there are certainly pluses and minuses to everything. Teams that are, you know, man-to-man teams, you're going to see all kinds of forms of man coverage. So I don't think we'll only see one version of, or another against the Dallas Cowboys, um, but especially on third down, keep an eye on how those safeties are utilized. If you see uh, a one-high look, is that second safety coming down to play man-to-man, or is he going to come down and play as like a lurk player, a robber there in the middle of the field? So uh, we talked about that at the top of the show in that first block. The second block, we focused on the or the Dallas offense going up against this Eagles defense. They've been one of the best red zone teams uh, since Andy Dalton has come back into the starting lineup. Uh, so we focused in on what they like to do in the red zone. We talked about the young Eagles players as well. So uh, now let's get to a couple other things that I think are interesting to talk about with this Dallas team. Now, the Eagles obviously saw them back in week eight, which feels like an eternity ago. Uh, but here we are. The, the big question I've got for you, and I think it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about with this defense. It's a new defensive scheme with Mike Nolan. Uh, they're now, what, 15 games uh, into the new system. One thing that we see that is different, you know, in terms of we've, we've seen that we obviously we see the Cowboys twice a year, every year. We are accustomed to Demarcus Lawrence lining up over the right tackle and us talking about the, the matchups between he and Lane Johnson, whoever is on that right side. And then whoever the other defensive end was, they were going up against the left tackle in this scheme with Mike Nolan. It is not left end and right end. It is a strong side defensive end. And then it is an open side end, which they list as their designated pass rusher. Uh, I don't know if I'm crazy about like that uh, moniker for that player, but that it is an open side player who's going to play away from the tight end side. And then you have the strong side defensive end. In this case, Demarcus Lawrence is the strong side player. So he's seeing more looks against tight ends and dealing with a little bit more contact there. And Alden Smith, who they brought uh, off the off the street basically this offseason, he is going to be the open side rusher. So I want to get your thoughts on the differences that you see in the that, that approach, the strong side, open side, versus just straight left end, right end. What do you see as the, the positives and negatives of that from a philosophical standpoint? Well, I think you hit it on the head there. Just, you know, it allows uh, defenses to, uh, I guess, you know, it's a fine line in wanting to move players around and find different matchups. And it's also, you know, the the con of moving a player that's been very successful at a certain spot. Demarcus Lawrence has been very successful as the left defensive end going up against right tackles and hasn't really looked the same this year. And I don't know if it's because he's maybe moving to that right-handed side and, you know, maybe not as comfortable or maybe not as fluid with some of his moves. And Alden Smith is leading this team in pressures. Demarcus Lawrence isn't, you know, too far behind there. Uh, And then the next is Tyrone Crawford with nearly half of what those two have. But uh, yeah, just a couple more creative fronts from Mike Nolan. Um, But I think it's come at the expense of Demarcus Lawrence's individual production. But He's needed a he's needed a Robin in that you know pass rush for a long time. We know he's Batman, so you're getting Alden Smith and somebody else helping out and creating some pressure outside of uh, D Law. I think it's interesting too because the other aspect of it is that if you're an offensive line preparing for a defense like this, let's say you're the right tackle. All right, so uh, you know in this game you're Matt Pryor. You can't go just go in and just take notes on Demarcus Lawrence all week. You've got to have an idea of 
what Alden Smith brings to the table of what uh, all the other pass rushers that are on that team. It's not just, Oh, I'm worried about the left end and that's it. It's all the defensive linemen on that roster because at any given point, one of those guys could be lined up across from you. So that, that is a positive into it as well. And that uh, it does make it a little bit tougher from a, a prep standpoint for the opposing offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, this team's doing okay getting after the passer when they can. They don't blitz a lot. They don't stun a lot. The issue is they're not covering anybody down the field and they're not stopping the run. And, you know, when they get into these third and mediums, third and longs and can pin their ears back. Yeah, you see Alden Smith and Demarcus Lawrence, you know, causing havoc and doing what they do. Uh, But it's been too few and far between in 2020 with, you know, the play on the second level against the run. And obviously uh, some of the plays down the field have allowed the most 20 plus yard passing touchdowns, the most passing touchdowns in general, and just some brutal run defense stats. But once they get into some comfortable down and distances, Keep an eye out for number 90 because he will turn it on and, and you know, wreak havoc uh, like we've expected him to. Yeah, and as we talk about a lot, I mean, when it comes to um, scheme choices and, you know, how to deploy personnel, there's not really a, a right and wrong answer. I mean, you look at how you know, there are plenty of teams that have had success defensively with the way that the, the Cowboys are using their front seven, and there are plenty of way, uh, examples of the other side of it where it's just basic left side, right side. So uh, certainly just something to keep an eye on, especially with the, the difference from this year to last year. Uh, I thought that was notable to bring up. I think similarly, we can go on the opposite side, and we can talk about uh, the wide receiving core because I feel like uh, – a lot of times, and you and I, obviously, we do a lot of work um, covering the NFL draft. We say we talk about a guy, oh, he's, he's an X receiver. He's a Z receiver. He's a slot receiver. And I feel like the lines you know, drawn between those three positions have blurred over the course of time. You know, I, I feel like you, you're, you're not going to just see a guy that's only lined up here and that's it. I feel like in this offense – those roles are, are a little bit more defined than most in the NFL. I think you know you typically see Amari Cooper, he's your, their movement Z. Michael Gallup is that boundary X receiver, and CeeDee Lamb is going to see most of his time in the slot. It's interesting that you know they're, they're one of these teams that operates in that way. So here's my question for you, if you can kind of break this down for the listeners, the differences between those three positions in your mind and then ultimately how that reflects uh, in their personnel with those three wideouts. Yeah, so just really quickly kind of designating the traits. So X receivers typically to the isolation side of the field. So this is a guy that has to be able to win for himself. Typically, you put a more physically imposing presence out there uh, to be able to win in those isolated situations. Uh, sometimes they can be speed threats as well to win in those isolated isolated situations. But typically, that's your bigger receiver uh, to win on those islands. That Z receiver is going to be with the tight end side, typically off the ball as he has another uh, skill player to his side there so you're going to get a little bit more of a release package from this player typically running much more combination routes with that tight end so it's going to be a lot a lot more crossing routes and uh probably working more of the field uh not being just an isolated receiver like that x and then that slot receiver you can really plug and play wherever if you want to go three by one sets and put them with the y and the z or if you want to go two by two balance sets and put that slot receiver with the x side But now in the NFL, you're moving these guys all around. And if you're not moving these players around, you're not really doing them a a tremendous service, in my opinion, by keeping defenses off balance with matchups and forcing them to think before the snap and getting lined up. And I think that's part of the cat and mouse kind of name of the game and the mental game before you ever say hike is figuring out who's on the field personnel wise. How have they been deployed formationally? 
And then how do we match up against them? So it's kind of interesting. We're playing teams back to back with the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys that traditionally have not been moving around these players. Now, there are pros and cons to it. But in my opinion, I like the mental stress it puts on defenses by having a straight Rolodex of where are these guys going to line up and be deployed out of the huddle on a down-to-down basis. Yeah, when you reflect back, and obviously you're very aware of Mike McCarthy, how he deploys his personnel. Looking back on his days in Green Bay, like were there guys? Was it kind of the same way with, uh, you know, the the receivers? Are they, you know, the Jordy Nelsons and the Devontae Adams and those guys? Who is who was it that played those roles? I guess Randall Cobb was the slot guy. How were they uh, deploying those receivers back when he was in Green Bay? Yeah, Randall was obviously a slot, middle of the field guy, more you know, uh, quick game, change of direction routes. Jordy was often the Z, James Jones often the X receiver, and you could kind of just get a visual of their profiles. James yeah. Jones was a really good catch point guy, vertical receiver, back shoulders. Uh, and then working in Devante was more of a guy you can move around all over the formation. And then as Jordy got older and had the knee injury, they started to move him inside into more of this Larry Fitzgerald kind of role where he's number three in trips and playing from the slot. And now we're getting away from these slot profiles aren't Wes Welker and Brandon Stokely anymore. Now you can have big slot receivers and move tight ends and uh, all different skill set profiles in each of these spots and there's pros and cons to each of them. And I think playing that kind of, uh, you know, mental game with who you put where and what are the pros and cons of each of those spots versus the pros and cons of the skill set of the player you're putting in those spots. It's just really fun to watch. And every offense is different from Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Uh, and you can learn something by how every offense kind of uses uh, their players or maybe doesn't use them. You know, there's, there's something to take away. I think from every time you put on the film or the TV uh, and just seeing how offenses use their players, it's chess, you know, there's different ways to move your pieces around the board. Yeah. And it's just, I thought it was funny, like kind of the, the symmetry between how they, the, the defensive ends are, are very well-defined roles in terms of strong side, open side, the wide receivers, very defined roles in terms of XZ and slot. Uh, just in, we've, we've talked numerous times about, you know, how I kind of view offensive line and defensive backs as being very similar in terms of, uh, you know, the, what they're asked to do and the muscles they've got to be able to use. And I view the same way uh, with receivers, guys that come off the ball uh, on offense versus pass rushers and being able to attack upfield. And I, I think there's a lot of symmetry there um, between those two position groups. So uh, I talked earlier about the red zone success, you know, with this Dallas Cowboys offense. They've been really, really efficient uh, as I pull up the numbers that you sent, um, you know, with what they've been able to do down in the red zone. Uh, they have been, as I pull this up, because I know that you sent it to me. Yeah, we're really looking in a vacuum over those last five games, you know, yep. particularly when Andy Dalton has been the quarterback of the team. They've been pretty good down there. He's thrown for over 70% completions, yep, nine touchdowns, zero picks. And the interesting thing with Andy Dalton is while he isn't wowing anybody with his explosive plays or, you know, putting the team on his back, you have to beat the Dallas Cowboys. They aren't going to beat themselves. And, you know, no knock to Ben DiNucci. He was a little inexperienced rookie thrown in the lineup last minute. But Andy Dalton, you know, you look at his metrics, turnover worthy plays, six fewest. He's getting the ball out eighth fastest. This is a guy that's not going to put the ball in harm's way. He's not going to hang on to this ball and take dumb sacks or, you know, try to escape, you know, the pocket and make plays with his legs. He's an efficient pro veteran quarterback. That's not going to be the problem. He may not be the solution, 
But I promise you, Andy Dalton is not going to be the problem with this team. And that's what you want out of a backup quarterback. And I think that's a great move and a great perspective on why the Cowboys, you know, sign Andy Dalton, why you pay him seven, eight million dollars to be a backup. This is what you get. Low variance play. And that's what you want. You don't want someone riding the wave coming off the bench. You need slow and steady manage the game properly. Don't put the ball in harm's way. I think Andy Dalton's actually done a pretty good job. Yeah. And just thinking about their success in the red zone, I just start to think about them from a philosophical standpoint. And I I think when you look at the teams that are always the best in the red zone, I think it comes down to one of two things. Number one, you're either a great running team, right? Because that doesn't, you know, you could be a great running team uh, anywhere on the field and have success, or you are a really effective horizontal pass team. You've got the ability to stretch the width of the field. You're not worried because once you get down into the red zone, as everybody says, uh, the field shrinks, you know, you have the end line, you've got that 13, that 12th defender there. Uh, there's a, you know, there's all the, the axioms that go with that. But if you are a good horizontal pass team, which, uh, you know, most West coast offenses are right. I mean, that's you're, you're built on yards after catch spacing everybody out. Uh, a lot of spread teams, you know, if you use, utilize a lot of those spread concepts, a lot of the jet motion stuff, that, that stuff all plays really well in the red zone because you're stretching everybody out from sideline to sideline. When I look at this Dallas pass game, they are a very efficient, get the ball out fast, West Coast staple offense. And it's a lot of the stuff that Mike McCarthy ran early on in Green Bay. Uh, you know, he, He's going to run a lot of that same stuff here in Dallas, and, and that's what they do. And I feel like that plays into why they're so good down in the red area because they're not changing the offense. They're, they're getting down there, and they're just running the same plays that they were running during normal downs. Yeah, and I think Dak's early uh, you know, season proliferance, uh, uh, you know, with throwing for all those yards, a lot of that was getting the ball out and the yards after catch, yep. uh, letting a lot of those receivers do the dirty work. And now they, you know, added a CD lamb into the lineup to go with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and working in some more pony stuff with the two back sets and Zeke and Tony Pollard still could use a tight end presence, but Dak and way he was playing really well to start the year was getting the ball out of his hands. And a lot of that was the yards after catch stuff built into the offense. Yeah, I think it's uh, certainly a big thing to to keep an eye on. Now, now reflecting on McCarthy and, you know, his time in Green Bay, particularly those last five years after the Super Bowl era, after the MVP run of Aaron Rodgers, you know, was it his scheme successful or was it a scheme causing problems late, in, you know, late into Rodgers kind of career there, particularly down in the red zone? I think Aaron Rodgers just has a great skill set for the red zone his ability to throw on the run, his ability to move the launch point, his ability to extend the play, um, all obviously are advantageous tools everywhere, but particularly down in the red zone uh, where things are happening faster, but he can slow them down with his legs and uh, his ability to make awkward throws and a very tight windows. Um, very unique skill set that's uh, obviously very, very effective down there in that red zone. Yeah, I think that that is uh, certainly a big part of how they're going to try and attack this Eagles defense, especially when they get down into the red area. Um, let's get your favorite stat of the week. Uh, what's an, a number or two that uh, really stood out to you as being big in this matchup? Yeah, a couple of interesting things. Uh, you know, some highs, some lows. Dallas defense, you know, they're getting after the quarterback, but the run defense last in yards before contact allowed, 28th in yards after contact allowed. <coughs> Excuse me. So that tells me there's some concerning run fits. And there's some concerning tackling. They have to stop the run. And I want to see the Eagles run the ball more. Second in yards per carry in the NFL. But their commitment to the run. 
30th running the ball on first and 10. I think they could take a little more pressure off of Jalen Hurts on early downs, commit to the run game, and then let's see if things open up off play action and move in the pocket. We already mentioned the Dallas offense, the red zone passing, Andy Dalton those last five games, nine touchdowns, zero picks, 120.8 QB rating. The other thing, Jalen Hurts just needs a friend in this offense, and I want to see him speed up his progressions. I want to see him find those outlets, but the outlets need to be more effective, particularly those running backs in the pass game. Targeting Miles Sanders this year has not been a high percentage volume play. Just want to see Jalen Hurts find his go-to guy. Always had a good rapport with Wentz and Zach Ertz. want to see who Jalen Hurts starts to look to when that pocket starts closing down. Is one of these running backs going to emerge and be a safety outlet? I think he needs to have a couple more answers with his arm this week as opposed to his legs. 15 scrambles through two games is a little on the high side. He's made some good plays, particularly against man coverage, very decisive, taking some green grass. Now let's see if he could start meriting, excuse me, marrying, you know, uh, solving those problems with his arm late in the down as well, particularly to some of those backs and uh, tight ends. Yeah, I think that those are all very valid points. And to me, uh, I'm excited just to see Jalen continue to take that next step. We talked about the anticipation throws outside the numbers, and that was a huge step, something I hadn't necessarily always seen from him when he was in college. Now, you know, and it's not going to just happen from one week to the next. I wouldn't expect it to. But having that same level of trust, that same level of feel and comfort working the middle of the field, working multiple receiver progressions and uh, being able to make those throws in the, you know, between the hashes and traffic. Uh, that's something. And certainly when you talk about uh, the running back, when you talk about the tight ends, working the middle, uh, that's something. That and and one aspect, Fran, I thought we ran a really effective screen game last week. Some hit, some almost hit. And I thought it was a really good example on – a rookie quarterback not having a full training camp and not having a preseason. And the interesting thing is understanding game speed on Sundays is different than Saturdays. And there was a play I put up on Twitter this morning, a really cool design out of a two back pony set split gun. One of our favorite concepts, getting that running back down the field and actually ran a screen pass underneath it. The issue that rush came to Jalen Hurts just a little fast, couldn't get the ball out. So those little things, the timing in the NFL, just a little bit quicker. Where do you learn that stuff? Typically on Sundays when you're playing. So those little things, just want to see Hurts process a little bit more and get a little bit more feel for the timing of defenses and the timing of uh, you know him executing plays, something to look for on Sunday. No question. So uh, hopefully that's something we will see as it continues to you know get more and more comfortable playing in the NFL. All right, man, we've got another player here. We're going to continue to talk about. It's time to talk about Tony Pollard, the Dallas running back in scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's talk about Tony Pollard. And, and as I said at the top of the show, Sneakily has kind of become the one of the big play options there for that offense. And uh, this is a guy I know you were a big fan of when he was coming out of Memphis just because of that versatile skill set. If you want to just touch on your notes on him coming out in 2019, and we can talk about how he's kind of developed in just a, a year and change. Yeah, he was one of my favorite players uh, in college football. He was a redshirt junior. I have him listed as a receiver slash running back. And he's 5'11", 210 pounds, went to the combine, didn't wow anybody with a 4'5", 40-yard dash. And then all of a sudden he runs 4.37 at his pro day and it comes out, 
you had a little food poisoning in Indianapolis. There's always some stories going on there. Don't always, uh, you know, take some of these times for face value. Sometimes guys have a bad day or, you know, maybe a little trouble on the toilet that day. You never know what can go wrong. But this is a guy that was prolific running the ball, catching the ball, returning the ball. Eight kickoff return touchdowns. Very prolific, both running and receiving. Gadget type of player at a thick build, you know, pretty strong lower half, short, Running back body, but playing out in the slot. So you saw some wildcat quarterback, jet sweeps, end arounds, and 15 runs over 10 yards. They'll even run them inside, you know, between the tackles a little bit. But a lot of that perimeter stuff, a lot of the satellite stuff, the yak opportunities all over the place, the screens, the quick games, the RPOs. He just wanted to get the ball in his hands. But he won down the field as well. That made me list all these receiver abilities. There's plays he had tracking over the shoulder, adjustments on the sideline, opening up back shoulder, would run really wicked slants from the slot position, quick in-breakers, the adjustments. That's what made me move him from the true running back position to the receiver because he was making some plays on the ball like like the who's who of you know college football receivers. Even punt coverage, he was a gunner. So he was a guy that played special teams, contributed in every phase. I was pounding the table and saying, I think this is a mid-round version of Debo Samuel, who went in the second round to the San Francisco 49ers, ended up being one of their darlings on their way to their unfortunate Super Bowl loss. But I thought this was a kid that kind of resembled that. Yeah, is he a receiver? Is he a running back? I don't really know, but he's going to do a lot of work in tight spaces for us, kind of, you know, uh, from that slot position or the backfield position. We're going to get the ball in his hands quickly and let him do some dirty work. Um, I wrote down Dexter McCluster as another comp there, uh, just as a kind of jack of all trades skill player. Uh, but Tony Pollard was really fun. And I think Cowboys fans, every now and then you see some flashes of really, really uh, exciting play from Tony Pollard. And I know they want to get him more involved in that offense. Yeah, I think ultimately when you look at him, I mean, he's like I said, he's become the the big play weapon, uh, you know, in that offense. You know, whether it's as a runner, he had that long touchdown run at the end of the game last week, or is it at, as a receiver? And all the the, the versatile skill set stuff, he, you know, these kind of players, I think it's really interesting because when when he came out, I ultimately graded him as like a a number three back for an offense, and just because I was like, all right, I don't think he can be a true number two, and at the end of the day, he probably isn't. But with the way that McCarthy is going to play offense, where they're not going to be a run first operation, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. I feel like he kind of he can be a number two, especially if you're utilizing that versatile skill set. If you're using him as a gadget type player, if you're releasing him out in the backfield, I, I had major questions about his ability to hold up as a blocker. Well, guess what? They don't ask him to do. They don't really ask him to block that that often. I know that you know he's done it a little bit more uh, than we expected, but even still, uh, I think that it's kind of it's it's interesting to project those kinds of players because it could be very tough. You know, we, there's plenty of guys like that in this class. You know, you and I have gone back and forth about uh, Florida's Kadarius Tony. We talk about him weekly on the Journey of the Draft podcast, and uh, you know what kind of value does that guy have? Uh, I think a Tony Pollard, you know, he's got that electric playmaking ability. He may be packaged differently than your typical number two back, but he's proven that he can be that for this Cowboys offense. Did you have a role or a skill set in mind around the league where you're like, I think he can, you know, take over that type of role, whether it's, you know, Tariq Cohen's role with the, the Bears or Naheem Hines or when Alvin Kamara came in the league, Mark Ingram was the lead back. And yeah. I like the compliment. Same thing with Christian McCaffrey. 
Jonathan Stewart was kind of the lead back. I like these complementative roles of, you know, having maybe that alpha dog running back. And then your number two can really be a jack of all trades and contribute in both phases of the game, or maybe even be just a primary third down back that you want to get the ball in their hands and they're a weapon. Yeah. And I think ultimately when you look at him, that's kind of how I viewed him was you mentioned like a Dexter McCluster. Uh, that's kind of how I viewed that role moving forward. But again, he, he has become more than that. And, and the, the other thing that becomes a kind of a tipping of the, uh, the hand there, they take him in the fourth round, right? And when you're not taking a third running back in the fourth round of the draft, clearly, clearly you draft him with the plan to say that we're going to use this guy to be a dynamic weapon for us uh, in our offense. So I, I think when you look at Pollard, certainly that versatile skill set, he can help them out in return game as well. Uh, did that at a very high level at Memphis. So, uh, you know, it's it, but it's always fun to kind of project those kind of big play weapons. Now, the, the thing is, is when you look at that, you know, for, from a two back standpoint, and we've seen that a little bit from them over the last couple of years when they both have both he and Zeke on the field at the same time, you could do lots of different things with Pollard, whether it means putting him out wide and running vertical routes, working in the slot, using him as that gadget, you know, that jet backfield action type player to open things up for others. Uh, that's the other value he brings as well is what he can be as a stretch player, both vertically and horizontally in your offense. Yeah, it seems like they were using the pony, the two back sets a little bit more last year when obviously their offense was a little bit more intact. But I find these types of players to be really interesting because you have to remember he was drafted by the previous regime or the previous coaching staff of Jason Garrett. And now you come in Mike McCarthy. So it's interesting to see how he gets used when the new coaching staff comes in and what was the real intent of drafting him in the first place. Was this trying to be a run-based offense and we wanted to have as many horses in the stable behind Zeke Elliott to keep throwing at defenses. And obviously he had the upside in the past game was an exciting player you could do a lot with, but it seemed like they were putting more and more draft capital into the offensive line and into the running back position because that was their offensive strategy and intent. How do you view the matchup here for this week? How do you view the when you know when he's out on the field? Uh, how do you kind of view the Eagles trying to keep him under wraps? He worries me because he could beat you in so many different ways. And, you know, I saw flashes of, you know, those theoretic days of, you know, those third down scat backs always giving us trouble. Um, I know the Cardinals tried to get Chase Edmonds loose a couple times on us last week. I think Pollard's going to be a similar type of guy um, where he may, you know, not, not do a whole lot with the ball in first, second down, but there could be a screen on third down or an angle route or find a, you know, a way to get him in space. And he's really their kind of creative guy for anything uh, in the backfield and that backfield action stuff. So we're getting into the, the the wee hours of 2020, and I know coaches are starting to get a little more creative, and you know maybe taking a couple more chances with some uh, some schematic uh, things out of their back pocket. So uh, now is the time to you know throw some things at the wall and maybe see what sticks and see what you have moving forward. Like uh, like the Eagles, Dallas uh, very much still in the playoff conversation in the NFC East, and both teams uh, needing some help from the Carolina Panthers this Sunday afternoon. Well, Ben, uh, as always, fun to chat with you about this matchup. We'll talk to you here next week. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, the coverage, the control, the security, everything you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. And you know 
I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the other way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to shout out somebody today who did just that. Michael John USA left us a five-star review saying, hey, Fran, love the show. I've learned so much more about this team. Thanks for all the effort that you put into these. My question is, what happened to wide receiver Travis Fulgham? Is it really possible for someone to have an insane five-game stretch, then completely burn out? I could have sworn he was the real deal. I had to go back and watch the first half of the season highlights just to remember how well he really played. Do you think we'll ever see him rise again? So, Michael John, I think it's a great, great, uh, great question to ask. Ultimately, look, wide receiver is a, is a funny position because you are really kind of reliant on a lot of things kind of working your way. More often than not, you are reliant on uh, the quarterback, you're relying on the play calls, you're relying on the offensive line, you're relying on a game flow, you're relying on the defense, on coverage, because all of that affects ultimately who gets the ball and all of that thing. But the other big thing, and it's funny, this is, there's a quote that Nick Saban just used. Uh, this was, I mean, it was probably like three or four weeks ago. He was asked about Devontae Smith, who uh, I just argued for on the Journey of the Draft podcast this week to win the Heisman Trophy, the wide receiver from Alabama, as the best wide receiver in college football. He was asked, Nick Saban, what, uh, what is the difference between Devontae Smith this year in 2020 versus last year? Because remember, he was playing alongside three first-round picks, four first-round picks throughout the course of his career in that receiving core. When you look at his teammate right now, Jalen Waddell, you look back to last year with Henry Ruggs and with Jerry Judy, a lot of talent in that receiving core. What is it that allowed Devontae Smith this year to really rise to the level that he has played? And Nick Saban said it with one word. He said it's opportunity. You know, he, he had the opportunity to now be the, the guy in that receiving core, and you saw him put up big numbers. And back early in the season, with all the different injuries in the receiving core, Travis Fulgham had the ability to be the guy. Now, has his talent just disappeared? No. But we've seen other guys come back into, into the picture for the receiver position. Uh, we've seen um, you know, certainly the change of quarterback. And, so, you know, the, the, and obviously the, the quarterback play was not great for those last few weeks before the change. right? You know, Carson Wentz had not been executing at such an efficient rate uh, in those last few games. So ultimately you saw a lot of different things lead to that. And that has resulted in the lack of production. That, that does not mean that Travis Fulgham can't play anymore or that he won't be able to be a, a player for this team in the future but right now he's not gonna he doesn't have to have the opportunity to put up those same kind of numbers and we, we've seen you know, all, all the different reasons as to why so that does not mean count on Tra or count out Travis Fulgham moving forward I think that he's got the ability to be a player for this team in the future but uh yeah certainly a situation to monitor for this team not just for 2020 but for 2020 21 and beyond. So, Michael John, great question. Thanks to you. Appreciate your support. Appreciate the kind words about the show. If you guys got any more questions, you can always leave them there on our Apple Podcast page. We will always answer them here on the podcast. All right, let's wrap this one up. I caught up with Eagles left tackle Jordan Mailata. This was late last week, but I wanted to save it for this week's podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into my interview right now with Jordan Mailata. Well, excited to welcome in for our one-on-one Eagles left tackle Jordan Mailata. Jordan, welcome back, man. We really appreciate you joining me. Hey, thanks, Rand. Thanks for having me. So let's talk through, uh, you know, basically your background. And you, I'll, I'll be going to be honest. You've given me a little bit of a challenge because for all these interviews all season long, I've been talking with players about the different sports that they played growing up and how they impacted football. But I feel like your story has been told so many times. So I promise I've got one question for you that's <laughs> rugby related. And after that, we'll put it to bed because I know you're sick of talking about it at this point. So my question for you is, is there one element of playing the sport that you feel has most helped you in the transition to the NFL? 
Probably, that's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, probably being able to, like, my agility. Yeah. My agility the most um, from rugby is probably the only thing. Or, like, the most, I guess, skill that has allowed me to tra- transition uh, more smoothly. So it have to be the agility from rugby to, to football is what's carried over and made it easier for me. And then the, the last question I've got for you on that is, because uh, talking with fans, fans will always say, oh, I'd love to see Jordan you know, handle the ball. I'd love to see Jordan run down on kickoff. Have you ever like messed around with coaches and say, like, hey, like, give me a shot on, on kickoff coverage. Give me a shot uh, to rush the quarterback or uh, hold on to the football and goal line packages. Have you ever had those kind of funny conversations with coaches during your career? Uh, honestly, I haven't. I've just been uh, focusing on my job at tackle. So I've never had those conversations. Um, but... Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shy to say no, <laughs> um, or say yes. Really, if Coach Ebbles like you know you want to run the ball, I'll say hell yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Well, let's get into that transition to playing offensive line and playing tackle. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people talk about, and typically when we talk about young players making that transition to the NFL from college, it's a lot about the physical development and kind of growing into your frame and you know the the you know add play strength. With you, it was more the mental side, right? What what were some of the biggest hurdles for you early on that really, I guess, fans weren't necessarily thinking about um, from your standpoint, from your perspective? Oh, I think first was the the playbook. Um, yeah. Mentally, it was challenging just because first day I got here, I got handed a playbook that was this thick, and I just didn't know where to begin. And when I looked at it, it was like a different language. Um, and then, you know, when we when we were heading out to practice – Getting into a stance, like, you know, even that was, was tricky at the start too. Um, and, and just those things that I struggled the most with uh, at first was just the playbook. Um, and knowing what to do in a play and understanding the scheme, really, that's that's all it came down to. And once I started to learn and, and started to get comfy and started getting more repetitions at, at that play, then, you know, then it was like a play that I ticked off the, the checkbook. Yeah, one page done out of the whole booklet that we got, and that's how we that's how we chipped away at it. That's how I chipped away at it, and yeah, and that that same mentality was what I carried over on the field. You know, when it came to all the physical stuff, getting into stance, getting into the kick sets, the more repetitions I got, the more comfortable I started to feel and understand the the position. What was the bigger mental hurdle? Was it the pass game and everything that goes with that, or was it the run game and your assignments? You know, as a run blocker. Oh, it's definitely the pass game. Um, mate, there's no other sport where you're kicking backwards and you got, <clears throat> you know, 250-pound yeah. man rushing you or, like, a 280-pound man rushing you. So it's, like, you know, that technical side of this sport is, you know, I guess underrated. Yeah. That's what I, is there a part that you feel, uh, fans and, like, media, because you talk with media all the time now, like, is there a part of it that you're like, man, like, I don't know why you guys are asking me so much about this. This part of it is so much more important There's you know, that we're not really telling that story. I, Man, when it comes to that, when it comes to fans and what the media say, uh, I just think that, you know, it, when, when you're on the line, it's much harder than what it is. Um, each position is, is detailed out. And it's not the same. You know, people think we can just go from, you know, left tackle to, to right guard one week, left tackle to left guard one week, but they, they don't know the intricacies of the position. You know, even left guard has those very detailed sets that we have to do, you know, unlike left tackles, unlike tackles in general. And then when it comes to center, that's a whole different ball game. So, you know, I think just people, 
I don't say people, but you know, some of the some of the guys that you know we just hear just think that it's you know it's easy to just go from one position to the other, and it's not like that. You know, every position is detailed out, and you know, there's a reason why we have players that play those positions. Yeah, no question. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your physical development because uh, I got to tell one story, and it's actually one of my favorite memories um, from the NovaCare cafeteria. It was your rookie year, and I like to get in early. I'm, a, I'm an early person. I get in early in the morning, and you guys, the offensive line, were coming in. You guys were getting breakfast. I think it was before or after a meeting. And I remember being in line with a bunch of you guys, and uh, Chef Tim had put up a big plate of a giant mound of eggs. And a bunch of the linemen are looking around like, who, who is this for? And Lane, Lane Johnson, who is a large human being, and I've seen Lane put away like steaks that are like bigger than my head. And Lane goes, who is, who is this for? And then all of a sudden I just see you coming from the other side of the cafeteria. You're like, oh, that's for me. I got to like, first of all, what is that diet plan like early on as you're trying to like get acclimated? And what, has that changed over the last couple of years as well? No, I still do that. Uh, that's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite go-to breakfast. I, it's called a four and four. So four whole eggs and then okay. four, I guess, servings of egg whites, and then I basically get it in like an omelet, and I get spinach, uh, tomato, mushrooms, and a little bit of cheese. And that's pretty much what it is. It's all that in, in one. When it gets folded, it comes out, and it's like three, four pounds of just deliciousness, full of protein. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It, lo- I was gonna, it. it looks more than it looked like more than eight eggs. Like that, that thing, I have never seen a pile outside of like a buffet. I've never seen a pile of eggs that big. <laughs> and for you to like get that kind of reaction from Lane, that just will always stick with me for the rest of my life. Well, I uh, totally forgot because I. Now that you said that it's bigger, I always actually add avocado and turkey <laughs> bacon in there as well. So, yeah, you you are right. It's a lot more than than what I previously mentioned. Who are the guys you talk about Lane Johnson and you know obviously you've been around Jason Peters your whole career. Who are some of the guys that uh, have helped you most along? Obviously, it's a great support system for you here. You know, you talk about the coaching staff, the players. Has there been a, a guy or two that you've really leaned on throughout the course of the process? Um, you know, when it comes to that, when it comes to a guy or two, it's definitely Lane and JP. Um, both of them have helped me a lot. Like you know, th- without them, you know, I would, I would be. Still, you know, with my wide-ass stance, you know, I wouldn't be able to kick out. But, you know, credit to my, my teammates. It's not just them two, though. You know, I have Isaac. I have um, Kelsey, who he talks to me as well, talking about set lines and, and when it comes to run game, understanding where the point is and just coaching me up like that. You have uh, Stefan Wisniewski, who was here my rookie year. You know, he was a big help to me too. Uh, big V. You know, those guys, credit to those boys. and they, they really helped me a lot. And, and kind of like help me mold the player I want to be. So, um, yeah, you know, without those guys, I wouldn't be here today. No question. Well, Jordan, dude, it's been so fun to watch you play this season, getting your first real taste of NFL action. Keep it going. We're excited to keep watching you. Thanks for joining us here on our one-on-one. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much to Jordan and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. Give the gift of Eagles Virtual Youth Clinics, now offering unique two-day football and cheer programs live on December 29th and 30th. Register today at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash clinics.